church before we served here years ago on Memorial Day, their tradition was as soon as church let out, we would all head out the back door and go to the cemetery and then the preacher would read the names of the people in the church over the course of the last year who had died. And it was just a way to stop and say, we remember you. We remember you. And so this morning, I'm actually going to be reading our text. Is actually, guys, uh, it's um, like reading uh, from an obituary. I hate it when my brain goes blank and the word won't come out. But we are in Genesis 23, and I just want to read the first six verses. And then we're going to jump into our message. If you, when you find that, if you will stand in God's honor, as I read from the text. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the house of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. None of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Let's pray. God, as we come before you this morning, all of us, well, at least most of us, have tasted the death of someone we dearly love and hurts, Lord. And this morning, uh, as we think about Memorial Day, and certainly grateful for those soldiers who died so our land can be free, and for their families, Lord. But Father, we also remember others that we love. And there's a memorial in our hearts to those people. And I just pray this morning as we look at Abraham dealing with that, Father, that uh, you would give us strength and speak to us in regard to loss and grief that accompanies loss. So just speak to our hearts, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, our text opened up. And the first word is Sarah. She's not described as Abraham's wife. She is not described in any other way but simply by her name. Sarah. Sarah who was deeply loved by Abraham. A matter of fact, the text doesn't mention you know, a funeral home like we have today where uh, the lifeless body is, is prepared to be viewed by others. It doesn't mention, you know, a crowd that come to mourn her or any service for people who miss her. It just simply says that she was brought to Abraham. And he grieved as he spent time with his loved one. <laughs> as they were able to be together. You know, our, our text opens up and in the first two verses, the first two words of verse 1, Sarah lived. Verse 2, she died. And we spend a lot of time 
preparing our children and even our grandchildren, I'm finding out, to live. You know, Atticus learned his, he's learned his alphabet, and uh, honestly, he knows words he should be able to read, but I think he'd rather play, so a lot of times he doesn't want to put those words together. He counts pretty good. Uh, I know he can count to 100. I said, how much further can you go? Uh, 50, 10,000. I said, I don't have time for that. I, you know, take your word at it, you know. But there are those things that we teach, right? Uh, it, you know, we want them to be good people. We want them to care about others. And then, of course, practical things, you know. We want to teach them how to, how to act around people. So, you know, someday if, if you know, they, they want to get married, they'll, they'll know how to act, you know, and, and, write and, and get them prepared to go to college or, uh, get them prepared, you know, how to write a check from the bank account. Of course, now everything's gone digital. It's a little different, but still prepare them for that. Uh, prepare them to be able to write a resume, <laughs> uh, to be able to present themselves in a job interview. There are all these things. We teach them how to live. But let me tell you what is just as important. We need to know how to die. Because the truth of the matter is, we will all die at some point unless our precious Lord returns before that time. Um, so, what do we do uh, to be prepared? I just thought of a few things here I, I wanted to share. Uh, you know, the obvious thing is life insurance, we think about. Or, you know, if you're a parent and got young children, if something happens to me, who's going to help, who's going to take care of those children? And then, guys, if we're mad at family and people that we love, that needs to be dealt with while we're alive. We want to we resolve conflict while we can. We don't want people having regrets over, man, I wish I had talked to that person while I still had a chance. We don't want those deep regrets. And as a matter of fact, uh, just like we talk about how to live, I think there's great value in sitting down and talk about how we die, right? And uh, we had an uh, experience this week. Uh, Cindy and I go to bed. Because of her job, we try to get up between 3.15, 3.30 most every morning. So pretty wiped out most of the time till the weekend. <laughs> so catch up on sleep. Well, you know, we'll, we'll head that way about 8. And, you know, the goal is to try to you know, be in the bed and hopefully sleep not too much after 9. Well, it was about 9 o'clock, I think. We uh, Phone rings, you know how that goes. And uh, it was our son, Nathan. And I see Cindy talking to him on the phone. Well, then I find out our cat, Tom, was run over by a car. And uh, what happened, uh, Nathan was actually downstairs getting something he had left at the house. And, and uh, he happened to notice Tom was outside. And when he looked, now here's his description of what happened. I also have another cat, okay, and a starfire. So he said there was this little baby mole out in the road. And his description was that starfire and Thomas were playing ping pong with that mole. You know, man, what a torture, right? And so he said, you know, I think that it was Tom's turn to whack that mole. And he ran out right in front of a car. And so anyway, we came, we came downstairs, and, uh, it, you know, it's kind of moving. Cause it's funny, y'all have to know Tom. You know, he, nobody likes him. 
talking like he's still alive, but nobody liked him. And because uh, he, he was quirky and kind of hard to get along with, you know, in some of the, I have a secret. He was fast becoming our favorite because this cat had personality. <laughs> and he was, he was uh, different, you know. But anyway, he ended up, of course, you guys have heard me say before, there we have four pets at the house, and Cindy and I picked none of them. Uh, our oldest dog, who's 17, was brought home by Lydia one day. Our uh, dog that's eight was brought home by Matthew one day. And um, the cat, uh, Starfire, is Atticus's cat. I mean, they moved out at uh, Starfire stage. And Thomas was Daniel's cat. So, you know, we have a, you know, a wide the people to blame here for these pets. But anyway, <laughs> and, and so... Um, we went downstairs, and Nathan said, uh, you know, Thomas is laying out in the middle of the road. He said, uh, you want me to get him? So Cindy found some old towels, and Nathan went out and wrapped Thomas up and brought him back and put him in the yard. And then he got down like this, and he put his hand on Thomas, and he was quiet for just a second. I'll be honest with you, that was real moving for me. You know, I saw that. Of course, I had to get up the next morning, daylight, 6 o'clock, and said, i got to bury this guy before Atticus gets here. Of course, we have Atticus and Cindy will just go with him later, and I don't want you to see all this. So anyway, I did that, you know, buried a hole, and I was grateful there was a shower the night before because that old clay in our backyard's not easy to dig on. So anyway, made a hole, buried Thomas, and then uh, when Atticus came over, I wanted seeing I'd be able to tell them together what happened. So, you know. Thomas is dead. His first response was, well, I never liked that cat anyway. He didn't really like me. Didn't give me much attention. <laughs> and so we said, but Atticus, we love Thomas. He goes, oh. And then, then it kind of started, do you miss Thomas? He says, do you wish I'd have got hit instead of Thomas? No, 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 no. We don't care if all the animals die. You are more important than all the animals combined. We love you, Atticus. No, not that, you know. So anyway, there was a curiosity there. And, of course, we had a chance to talk to him about, you know, we all die. We all die. And we face death. So um, the truth of the matter is we need to be prepared spiritually. Someone uh, has made the point, if you live to be 85 years old, that's a total of 31,025 days. Now, if you're 35 years old today, you have 18,300 days left. That's, that's assuming you make it that far, and there's a good chance. I mean, the truth is, any of us are not guaranteed the next breath. And so we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. Here, here's some scary stats I ran across uh, when they polled some uh, Christians, 26% uh, who were Baptists. Now, we're the people that are evangelical, right? Only 26% of us said that we are confident when we die we'll go to heaven. That means 74% of those who sit among us worship, that we worship with together do not have a confidence that they are going to heaven, that they have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is secure. It's kind of scary stuff, and we were the high, the high one in this, okay? 20% of Lutherans said they had some chance of making it, and 16% of Methodists. 
So, when it happens and we are standing before our maker in that time of judgment, will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of our Lord, or will we be standing there trying to convince him? Do you have that nailed down? Have we come before God and said, my hope is built on nothing less than his blood and righteousness? Right, I mean, do we have that? Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus speaking, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, Depart from me, I never knew you. We have to be ready spiritually. Now, as we're going in our text here in Genesis 23 and verse 2, we're told that Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. And he did. There was an incredible amount of pain there. And uh, if you live long enough, you experience that. Somebody you love goes through that portal that we call death. Matter of fact, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 reads, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And so that enemy still lurks about. I love the scripture, though, of 1 Corinthians 4, 13, which is the verse we're going to close with. And it says, Although we sorrow, although we grieve, we do not grieve as the world does. We grieve because we have hope. There is no way in this life to fully escape grief. There will be things that happen that bring us to sorrow, deep sorrow. But let me tell you, that is not the end. Jesus Christ... Jesus Christ is our hope that defeats death. This is the victory that overcomes. Jesus, the cross, His message. Sometimes we, we hide grief or, or grief is something that we push aside. Uh, you know, it's interesting, uh, according you know, to the Hebrews, uh, back in the time of Abraham, they would set aside 30 days. And for 30 days, man, they would well, they would cry out, they would rip their clothes, ashes and sackcloth. I mean, they were just very honest and open with their emotions. Matter of fact, the Egyptians would spend 70 days. We read in the scriptures of Jacob when he thought his, Joseph, his son Joseph had been torn apart you know, by a wild animal, because that's what his other sons had told him. And it says that he grieved and he wailed over missing Joseph. And then, of course, I think about David when his baby died and, and he grieved before God and, and he, he fasted and he pleaded with God before the baby died to spare him, but it didn't happen. And he grieved and then he grieved over his son Absalom, the loss of his son. And, and he said, Absalom, if only it could have been me instead of you. He, he felt deep grief. Some people, as they try to deal with grief, they... They deal with it by simply trying to avoid it. You know, the ancient, uh, ancients had what they called Stoics in Greece. And these Stoics would go to great lengths not to reveal any kind of emotion. 
we get the term, you know, you're so stoic, showing no emotion. But there's nothing particularly spiritual about never showing emotion. God's given us tear ducts for a reason. Matter of fact, I'm finding myself more and more, as we said in Sunday school, of course, I've been thinking of this message as well. It's like, man, I must be going through midlife crisis or something. I'm just tearing up more and more as the days go by. It seems like I'm more sensitive to, you know, kind of what's going on around me. Uh, I remember as a, as a teenager, there was a song, Big Boys Don't Cry, Big Boys Don't Cry, you know. I can't remember the song now, I just remember that part in the song, Big Boys Don't Cry. Let me tell you, sometimes big boys do cry because of what they face. It's the tears are shed. Jesus himself was called a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Remember Lazarus at the tomb. Beautiful picture. The shortest verse in the Bible, guys. You know, I joke about it every once in a while, but you can learn scripture. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Got it, John. Okay, say it with me. John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You can do better than that. Come on, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. You memorize scripture, right? <laughs> but the point of the matter is, Jesus wept. He loved Lazarus. Now he knew. He knew the end of the story. He knew that Lazarus would be raised to life. But as he looked around and he saw his loved ones hurt, it hurt him. <laughs> and so, so he grieved. Now, when facing a catastrophe, uh, years ago, back in the Stone Age, I was a psychology major, uh, too, Logan. And they had these stages of grief uh, that people typically go through. Denial, and then anger, and then a bargaining. God, I'll make a deal with you. <laughs> oh, boy, good luck. And then depression, and then finally, acceptance. Look, when people go through grief, the last thing that we need to do is just give them pat answers. You know, wipe that frown off your face. Jesus died for you. Have the joy of the Lord. Man, just cry with them. Just weep with them. Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Man, there is power in just sitting down and crying with somebody who is brokenhearted. You don't have to have all the pat answers. Well, to begin with, there's really not pat answers. What really matters is that you love them and you're there for them. I remember years ago, a, a, a friend of mine, we'd go to pastor's meetings. David Hyde was his name. David had been battling with a form of cancer. and uh, He... Sometimes they would say, you know, he's not going to make it. And then he'd get better. You know, this went on. And he was down one time, and he came to a meeting. And uh, there were about a dozen pastors there. And he said, guys, I'm, I'm just really struggling. Can you guys help me, you know? So it kind of went around the room. And I thought, what in the world can I say to him? And so some of the guys gave some different advice, and it just came around to me. And I got up, and I walked over there, and I hugged him, and I said, I love you. I walked back and I sat down. When we got done with that meeting, I'll never forget this. David came up to me and he whispered in my ear, you're the only one that said anything that made any sense. <laughs> Guys, don't just give pat answers. Give yourself. Be there with that person. Show them compassion. 
Uh, you know, just love them. And, and you know, let them talk. Um, you know, I'm sure if you could let Abraham talk, I'm sure, you know, he might have been able to say, man, she was, she was young. She's a looker. Boy, was I blessed ever in my life. She was there with me, and we did it together. And, you know, just just let them talk. And, and just to remember, you know. You know, I think about my mom when she died, and I've told you some of this stuff, but, um, you know, it, I didn't really grieve, grieve till 10 years later, probably, and I won't take the whole time to go into that. But sometimes I still sit around and I think about, you know, just remembering funny stories. Like one of my favorites, the kids say I've told my stories over 27 times because they won't hear them anymore. But anyway, I don't know where that number came from. But I remember asking Mom, this was back in the days when they had TV guides. Any of y'all remember that? So anyway, I was looking for the TV guide. And I said, Mom, where's the TV guide? And she said, oh, yeah. So she got up. And she walked to the refrigerator, opened it up, grabbed the TV guide, and closed the refrigerator, and came back and sat down. <laughs> well, at least she remembered, <laughs> you know. Uh, and, and, you know, what a joy just to be able to remember some of those stories. Uh, anyway, here's a quote from one preacher, William Scroggie. He's wrote, Let grief do its work. Tramp every inch of the sorrowful way. Drink every drop of the bitter cup. Draw from memory and hope that all they can offer to see the things our loved ones left behind will give us daily pain. The clothes they wore, the letters they wrote, the books they read, the chairs in which they sat, the music they loved, the hymns they sang, the walks they took, the games they played, their seat in church and much beside. But what would be without these reminders? Would we like quickly to break with the past in order to assuage grief? Those who truly love will say that they have found in sorrow a new joy, a joy which only the brokenhearted can know. As we look in our text, Abraham comes to these people and he says, uh, I need a place to bury my wife. Will you help me out? And, um, and so they say, oh, we'll give you a place. He, he says, no, I, I want to pay for that place. And so he gets a place in order to bury his beloved Sarah. In verse 3, I, I want to point uh, to a phrase in here that I think is very powerful and important. The verse says, Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. In other words, he moved on. He was stuck in grief, and he was grieving over his beloved, his partner in life. And, but now it's time. It, life still goes on. Life still continues, and it's time to do that. I'll never forget when my grandmother died. And uh, it was a couple of days later, and I was talking to my mom. And she said, I just wish the world would stop for just a few minutes and recognize she's gone. Life just goes on. It doesn't stop. It just continues. And we think, can't you just remember my loved one? Because I do. Um, mourning, it's a necessity, but there does come a time where it's time to move on from that grief. In other, 
Otherwise, good grief can become bad grief, and it can keep us from doing what our loved one would want us to do, and that's to live. Not to wait to die, but to live for the time that's left. Uh, In Deuteronomy 34, uh, verse 5, it tells us, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he, that is God, he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor abated. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And then you come over, that's the very end of Deuteronomy. Then you come over the other page and you got the book of Joshua. And here's how the book of Joshua starts out. Um, he's talking to Joshua and he says, Moses, my servant, is dead. Well, everybody already knew that, right? I mean, this is not some big secret. Everyone knew the great Moses was dead. But then he says, Therefore, arise, go over Jordan, you and all his people, to the land which I am giving them to the children of Israel. So what's he saying? Yes, Moses is gone, but Joshua, you are here, and my work still continues, and it is time to go forward. It is time to rise up from your grief and to move our verse that we're going to read together in just a little bit, First uh, Thessalonians 4.13, it says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. And then verse 14, For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep look at at our text here genesis 4 i mean 23 verse 4 he uh abraham says i am an alien and a stranger among you sell me some property for a burial site here so i can bury my dead what abraham said he said man i am just passing through this this is where my beloved died and so i need a place to place her this is not my home This is a temporary place for me. You know what? That's true for all of us. Even though we hurt sometimes here, we are not home. This is not our resting place for eternity. It is a temporary place, but it is not the final place. Hey, I am just passing through, and so are you. We are pilgrims, aliens, strangers. Uh, Matter of fact, in Hebrews 11... We read, the, we read about Abraham, and it talked about how he sojourned in tents with Isaac and his family, but it says he was looking for a city that has foundations whose builder and maker is God. So, uh, hey, you may be grieving now over someone that you desperately miss. Or maybe this has brought back to you someone that you desperately miss as you think about it. But just remember, if you are in Christ, you do not grieve or sorrow as someone who has no hope. 
In Christ, there will be a reunion. And man, am I excited about it. It's going to be fun. I'm going to remind my dad of the time that he was fully asleep and ate a piece of pizza and got mad at me when he woke up and the pizza was gone. I said, you had your piece. I'm going to remind him again. I get up there. We're going to have some fun. We're not just going to be sitting on clouds, you know, playing our harps. Man, we're going to be enjoying Christ and one another. Those who have fallen asleep will be wide awake. They'll be wide awake in Christ. Swallowed up in life. I love that in 2 Corinthians 5. It says swallowed up in life. And that's what what we wait for. Man, I'm so grateful for that. I'm glad we don't have that uh, reincarnation stuff that some people believe. You know, where you just get recycled and you come back. For one thing, when Sarah died, she was 127 years old. Dude, I am 58 and I already have these aches. And, you know, I'd be glad I won't need these. You know, I can just see straight. And sometimes I get up in the morning and I'm kind of like, it takes me a little while to get limber, you know. And, and I, you know, I just aches. Where did that come from? You know, I will be glad when that stuff is gone. And there are some things in life I don't want to go through again. Hey, when I was a teenager, I had a terrible time with acne. Oh, my, man. I, I had these uh, boils over my body, and these blackhead boils and all this stuff. I had a teacher in high school, um, Mr. Brown. He, he, he uh, called a, a dermatologist, wanted me to go see him. So, you know, and uh, we didn't have the money to pay for the new medication that would help with that stuff. But the pharmacist was a friend of my dad's, just like everybody in council was. And uh, he gave us the medication at his cost because we couldn't afford the cost <laughs> of the medication. Uh, man, I don't want to go through acne again. Do not recycle me for acne. You know, I don't want any of that. Praise be to God that it's not like that. When we die, we go to be with him. And those who are in Christ will be together. We'll get to party together. Man, in a good way. Anyway, let me close with a story I heard this week. I, I listened to this. You, you guys know I like podcasts. No secret. But I listened to this podcast this week by a guy named um, Ron Parsons. And Ron Parsons has just written a book on wisdom I want to share with my grandchildren. Oh, that's great. I love this stuff. And he gets near the end of it, and he says, I want to share with you my favorite story. And I'm like, oh, i got to find some way to work this in because this story's good. So anyway, I th- anyway, I think it's good. Ron talks, he tells a story of a guy named Paul back in the days way before Alexa. Now you know we have Alexa. Alexa, what's the weather? And all that stuff. Of course, my Nathan likes to play these games like, Alexa, can you fall in love? or, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, anyway, like I remember uh, one of the questions we asked Alexa, we said, Alexa, um, what, uh, what kind of women are you attracted to? And Alexa said, um, I like Wonder Woman because she's an Amazon. And you go, no. Anyway, 
<laughs> anyway, I don't know what that has to do with anything. I've kind of gotten off here. Let me get back here to my story. Okay, this was back before Alexa, and this is the early days of the telephone. And a little nine-year-old boy named Paul who lived in the Midwest, one day he was excited as this telephone came to their home. And one thing he quickly fell in love with, his parents would pick up the phone and they would say, information please, and what a world opened up. I mean, you could ask information about the weather or any kind of question, and it seemed like, I mean, this is pre-Alexa, right? I mean, you know, information please, and you'd get the answer. Well, one day, Paul happened to be by himself for a time, and he hit his thumb with a hammer. There was nobody there to see him cry, so why cry? And so Paul said, I will call information. So he picked up that telephone. He said, information, please. And a sweet voice was on the other line. May I help you? I hit my thumb with a hammer, and nobody's here, and I don't know what to do. Honey, do you know where the freezer is? Go over to the freezer, get some ice, wrap it up in a small towel, and put it on your thumb. And Paul said, you know, it helped. It worked. He said, so that started a great relationship between me and information. I would call whenever I needed anything. Information, can you show me where Philadelphia is on the map? I don't know how she did that on the telephone. But anyway, or information, um, could you spell disappear for me? Or information? I don't understand. My canary died. How could something so beautiful and sing so beautifully, how could God let, let the canary die? And her answer was, oh, Paul, don't you know there are other worlds to sing in? Well, a couple of years later, they moved to New York City in the Midwest, and when they arrived, they had a new plastic telephone. And he thought, oh, you know, modern telephone and uh, information doesn't really work. You know, that was just a child's thing, information. It wasn't real. And so he forgot about information until he was 24. <laughs> and he flew back into an airport near his home in the Midwest, and he thought, I wonder. And so he picked up the phone at the airport, and he contacted information and heard a familiar voice. And he said, how do you spell disappear? And suddenly laughter broke out, and they both shared heartfelt, you do not know what you meant to me. You do not know what you meant to me. And so as a result of that, she made him promise a, when you get a chance, will you call me? And he said, sure. And he said, so there were a number of times over the years when I would come through that area, I would pick up the phone and I would call and we would talk and we would enjoy her company. Years passed and he said, one day I flew into that airport and I picked up that phone and I said, information please. And this time a different voice answered. And I said, well, Where's Holly? She said, oh, she died a couple of weeks ago. Your name's not Paul, is it? Yes, my name is Paul. She said, if you called to give you this message, 
I love you and I have the highest hopes for you, Paul. Keep your head up and your eyes on Jesus. He is the author and finisher of your faith. Sometimes the days will be hard, but remember to keep your head up and look to the Lord. Don't let others give you pat answers, even religious people. Jesus went away to prepare a place with many rooms and promised there would be a glorious reunion for there are other worlds in which to sing. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. It is real. He is real. And so is his word that he wants you to hear and heed. And, and so I close this message not merely with words just to Paul, but to words to Jesus' church. Jesus has a message for you, and he has a message for me. He is the one who did not run from grief, but tore grief to swallow up death so that our grief would not be without hope. We have hope. We have Christ. And may we live in the hope he's provided. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you for your word. And on this memorial day, we do think of grief that we all have. And thank you, Lord, that our grief is not without hope. Because of Christ, there is hope. And Father, we pray for anyone here who has not received the hope of Christ, whether they're listening uh, digitally or in person. Today's a great day to say yes to Christ, to know hope, and to be able to face death. Because in order to really live, we need to know how to really die. And once we die to self and become alive in Christ, we're always alive. And so I pray, Father, that you guide us to be your people, your missionaries, and that we might pray to you and serve you and walk with you. And, Father, realize when we do not feel good, when we are depressed, that we still have hope. And we can look to you. And, Father, may we live there in your hope. Um, God, with an altar that's open and hearts that want to hear from you, may we respond when you speak. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.